Blog Talk Radio. Doing very well. How are you? I'm doing good. You know, it's been a, a busy week for New York baseball. The Yankees became the first team to reach 90 wins in the MLB last night. Um, and the Mets have struggled a little bit. They were hot as hell, you know, early on and in August. You know, they continued their horrid pace and made a wild card push. Now they've kind of cooled off a little bit, which of course is to be expected. But they have a big series coming up against the Nationals, so there's a lot to talk about regarding New York baseball. Lots to talk about around the league, so Stephanie, kick us off with whichever team you want to start with. Uh, let's go with the Yankees. 7-3 and three in their last 10 games. They had a road trip they just started off about a week and a half ago, and they got swept to start that off by Oakland. Awful series. The pitching was garbage. But they end the road trip on a good note. They sweep Seattle to end the trip, and they go 6-4. and four. Um, Game one uh, against Oakland, they win 5-4. Half five innings pitch, three and runs, seven Ks. No, sorry, in the Seattle series, excuse me. Five and four, Chapman, five innings pitch, three and run, seven Ks. Chapman with the 36 save. Game two, seven nothing win. Tanaka, seven innings pitch, zero earned run, seven Ks. He's looking good. And Judge hits his 17th home run in the first inning of that one, a mammoth shot. Game three, seven three win. Paxton, five innings pitched, two in runs, four Ks, five walks. Walks were pretty high, but again, after that first inning, he, he doesn't have any problems anymore with that. Only gives up two in runs. Sanchez, Ford, Judge, and LeMay all go deep in the win. Yankees take two out of three from Oakland. Now we go to the Seattle series. I'm, I'm sorry, Oakland series, my God. Game one, 8 2 loss. Sebastia, three innings, one in run. He wasn't the big story. Tommy Kinley gives up zero runs usually. One inning pitch, three and run. Gearing comes in, one inning pitch, two and runs. And Nestor Cortez Jr. comes in. Two innings pitched, two and runs. And the Bombers had zero home runs in that game, but Luke Voigt does return. He goes two for four. Matthew also got placed on the aisle after that game. His knee was flaring up, so it's a, it's a, you know, a sore loss there because not only did the bullpen come in and surrender a lot of runs, but you also lose one of the better leaders on the locker room, Sabathia, to another injury that could potentially limit his chances at pitching in the postseason. And in his last season, this is not what he wants to see late in the season, but yeah, he hasn't pitched well, and he's back in the eyes. We returned by the room, but we didn't miss him. He's taking a long time to get back. Um, two, four, three win. Herman, five innings pitched, two in runs. Bullpen was much better. Sanchez, Judge, and LeMayu go deep. LeMayu's home run walked it off in the bottom of the 11th. Game three, Yankees win 5-4 via the walk-off home run yet again. So this was a pitcher's duel between... Happen Manea. Manea making his first start since shoulder surgery last year. He goes five innings, zero on runs, five Ks. But Hap, he gets a few double play balls early in this game. He goes six innings, five Ks, zero on runs. And Brendan, this is probably his best start of the season. Yeah, you would think that it's one of the top starts for him, especially. And um, it, he looked like he was actually getting the fastball inside. And I know they talked about it a lot on the Yes broadcast, but 
he struggles with just every pitch he throws. He kind of opens up and leaves his left shoulder hanging a little bit. And, uh, it just floats over the plate. And, uh, I know we were watching it together, and you said that you could see him lose it on the second Before that, he got the win. He went five innings, three in runs. But this is definitely his better start. And I feel like he was missing yesterday, like you said with the pinder pitch. He was missing high and up. He wasn't missing right down the plate where he usually misses. So um, that's a very very encouraging sign. But Yankees were trailing fourth round during the ninth yesterday. And Gardner goes deep off closer Hendricks to tie it. And he, uh, at that point, Gardner was 0 for 3 with 3Ks. So when you saw that, it was Gardner... Tackman and Ford, or Gardner, Ford, Tackman, sorry, Clint Frazier, because Ford pinched it for him. You were like, oh, God, this bottom of the order it doesn't look great. But Clint Frazier is pinched hit by Mike Ford, who was on the bench all day, and he goes deep into the Yankees' pen for the walk-off win. He becomes the first rookie with a pinch hit walk-off home run in Yankees history. He's batting 314 with seven homers, 11 RBIs, and last 17 games. His seven homers are the third most since August 12th. And Ben, we could talk about the main story of this road trip and, of course, the series at home. Aaron Judge has found himself at the plate. And he's bang, he banged 357, 10 for 28, with four homers, six RBIs in the last seven games. He only struck out eight times, which eight times in seven games. I'll take that from Aaron Judge. Uh, if he can go, if he has four at-bats in a game, he'll strike out once. You know, those games, that's fine, because you know that he has the power to minimize that strikeout. But at the same time, I like the fact that you can see he's getting hits, not just home runs, base hits, doubles. And we all know his field is going to be there, but he has to stay this way because if the Yankees have any hope at winning in October, he has to be you know, one of the key components to that. And Gary Sanchez has to be good. And Lemayu has to continue to do what he's doing. But Judge is always going to be their focal point. You said that you know, the Yankees fans' favorite, even though most people get on him a lot, especially when he goes through these long, miserable slumps. But... He's probably going to be a career-long Yankee, and he's going to be, you know, similar to a Derek Jeter, where the Yankee success revolves solely around him. So, uh, Judge is starting to look like Judge again. You know, he's crushing the ball to left field, which is something of a beautiful sight to see because when pitchers make a mistake, he can go a long way, and that is exactly what he's looked like the last seven to ten games. And yeah, we talked about how he got closer to the plate and all that stuff, and it's it's really working out, and pitchers should be. Very scary to face him now because he's seeing the ball well and he's pulling a lot of stuff and he's also hitting to opposite field, which is something that you know a good hitter does. So they are now at 90 wins and they're the first team to 90, and they kick off a three-game set with the Texas Rangers at the stadium. But Brennan, quickly, what did you think when Clint Frazier got pinch hit for? I mean, Clint Frazier went over over whatever yesterday. I think it was over two. A few ground outs, so nothing, nothing special you saw from Frazier on his return to the team. But I mean, that's a ballsy move by Boone to have someone come off the bench. But I guess he knew the numbers that Mike Ford was hot. Yeah, I mean, Mike Ford was hot. Uh, he's also a lefty against the righty, so 
when you got a power guy on the mound like Liam Hendricks, you know, you want him to have as much of an advantage as a hitter as you can. Uh, Frazier also, you know, was in AAA for a while, had to travel up here, hasn't seen, you know, MLB pitching at that caliber yet. Mike Ford, like you said, has been on a stretch where he's been hitting MLB pitching in the last 10 games. So you might as well let him get that at bat. And listen, it was the right decision because Ford took him deep and he got around and he was a 98-mile-an-hour fastball, left it right in the middle. And it's just crazy to see that this team, you know, whether it's with injuries and the resilience there or being down in games, they were down four runs, remember, early on. They had, like, a 10-game stretch where they were down four runs a couple of times and came back to win. And now you look at this back-to-back days with a walk-off against a team that has beat them four times in a row. And people are like, oh, maybe the A's or the Yankees kryptonite. You don't want to see them in the postseason. But now, I mean, now the Yankees are in the A's head. Look, if you can't get us out in the ninth inning, we're going to beat you. So it's really fun to watch, and it's exciting because you look at the top of the AL and everyone's clumped up, and you know that the good teams are going to be, you know, in the ALCS, and it's going to be the Astros, Yankees. You're going to have to get through the Oakland Athletics, maybe the Twins, and some guy like a Mike Ford could be a huge part of that, depending on if Encarnacion come back or who gets put on the 25-man roster come postseason time. Yeah, and with um, Hendricks yesterday, before – after giving up the two home runs, his ERA jumped to a 1.77. So that shows how good of a season Henderson's been having. But also Oakland, this was a series that they desperately needed, unlike the Yankees, who have such a big lead. But Oakland is now a half game out of a wild card spot behind Cleveland, and Tim Bay has a half game lead. So, yeah, if I'm Oakland, this, this hurts. This hurts a lot, especially when you have guys on the mound like Hendricks, who has been great all season for you. You're hoping he comes in and shuts the door. He doesn't. And the game before that, you know, they, you lose you lose back-to-back games via walk-off, and it's not a good feeling. Yeah, I mean, the one um, in game two of the series, that's that's hard because that's extra innings. So, I mean, you're putting out reliever after reliever. One of them's counting as a run. That's why we have extra innings in baseball. But yesterday was really – it was eye-opening for me because you look at Liam Hendricks. He came in with one out in the eighth, and then they put him back out for the ninth. And I think he had, was 17 for 21 save opportunities going into that game. So – he hasn't been their closer all year. They've struggled to find that guy that can come in and shut down the ninth. And his ERA was a 1.53, you said, going into that at bat? Um, I'm not sure what it was. I know it ended at a 1.77 after that oh, inning. Yeah. So. I think it was around a 1.5 towards the two home runs. So he's been very good. But he's one of those guys that, you know, might be in the tenses. We've seen the tenses who can dominate in the eighth, dominate in the seventh, and the sixth. You bring him into the ninth, he struggles. So maybe – Hendricks is a great reliever, just doesn't have that closer mentality yet. Um, and, and that could plague the athletics if they, in a wild card game, say, if they have the lead in the ninth, who you bring in. Because right now it looks like they're going to go Hendricks nine of the ten times, and if he can't get that last out, they're going to struggle. And which is funny, actually, because Hendricks was the opener last year against the Yankees in a wild card game, and now he could potentially be their closer this year. So it's crazy to see the difference the year makes. Yeah, I mean, that was. Again, the Yankees are helpful that they got two back-to-back walk-off wins. That's just great to see. And the Mets are going on a different, you know, a different way recently. Here, um, three and seven in the last ten games. They are swept at home by the Cubs in a huge series. Game one, five loss. Bowman six innings pitched, four and run, seven Ks. Outdueled by Hugh Darvish, who goes eight innings, one and run, and seven Ks. Game two, ten seven loss. Syndergaard three innings pitched, ten runs, nine and runs, nine hits. One walk, five Ks, and three home runs allowed. Game three, DeGrom out to the Lester in a 4-1 loss. 
DeGrom. He was out to a Excuse me. DeGrom, seven innings pitched, four and run, seven Ks. Lester, six innings pitched, one run, five Ks. They do take two out of three from Philly. Game one, they went 11 to five. Wheeler, six innings pitched, one and run, five Ks. Todd Fraser, three run homer in the eighth and ninth. Game two, six three win. Max, five innings pitched, three runs, two and runs, six Ks. Former Matt Jason Vargas started giving up runs, five run runs, and four innings pitched. And game three was a 5 2 loss. Sterling, yes. So this, go is, this is a, uh, an interesting time for the Mets because they're playing the Nationals next. And the Nationals are a four and a half lead on the Cubs, who just, you know, manhandled the Mets at City Field. And uh, this is the stretch run now. If they have any shot, they have to take two out of three, at least in the series. Uh, I mean, you look at just the outings by Syndergaard, you know, it, it's concerning. Stroman gave up four, Syndergaard gives up nine earned the next night. Um, the Grom looked good and then gave up runs late, so he had four earned. So, you know, you, those aren't the type of starts you want from, you know, what could be your big three. And the first game of the series tonight in Washington, Syndergaard's on the mound. And after last start, you're like, I hope he can come back. We know the talent he has. I mean, he has the velocity, he has the movement, but he has to, has to come through clutch tonight. And there is no way that they win the game if he gives up five or six runs in Washington today. No, no way. And he's just got to be a better pitcher than that because this team right now, they were at such a good spot too. They were only, you know, they're in it for a second, then they're a half game out, then they're one. Now they're just slowly – Slowly creeping out of it. Yeah, I mean, the other thing you can look at is in the last game of the Philly series, the only game that they lost in that series. They lost 5-2, to two and it was a 2-2 game, and Philly came in with a runner on and gave up a three-run double. Um, his ERA this year is a 5-9-6, <laughs> and when he got traded last year in Oakland for Oakland's playoff run, you know, he was one of the hottest leaders on the market. He was a hot commodity. People wanted him. He's got a nasty sinker movement in like 97 mile hour pitch. It's like a lesser Britain, if you will. But uh, this year is a complete opposite season for him, which is odd because usually when a team uh, signs a former player, the comfort level there, it's not like they have to get accustomed to new surroundings. They usually they have a better year than they did in years prior, but it's been a very weird season for him. Really. He just doesn't seem to have anything when he comes out of the pen. No, nothing. And when they acquired him back, there would be a nice homecoming. And it, just like you said, a 5.96 year rate of season. It really has not turned out like that. But the Mets are 69-67. They're four games back of the Cubs in the wild card. And now they face Washington. Huge series. Syndergaard looks to rebound tonight. Yep. So we go around the league now. Big news out of yesterday is Justin Verlander throws another no-no. His third of his career. He goes 9-0 in runs, 14 Ks. That was three shy of the high for a no-hitter. At the top of the ninth, thanks to rookie Abraham Homer with two outs in the top of the ninth. Like I said, third career no-no. This is his second against Toronto in Toronto, and he's the first pitcher to have two no-hitters at the same away ballpark. So that's pretty cool. And the last one came back in 2011. So it's crazy to see this guy's career was done after he left Detroit. People yeah. thought Done. I'm pretty sure it was a waiver. It was a waiver trade after the deadline. The August 31st deadline does not exist anymore. So I mean, he has just rejuvenated his career. He threw 120 pitches yesterday, and against it, Toronto's not a great team, but they have some absolute units in their lineup: Bo Bichette, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Kevin Biggio, Teoscar Hernandez. It's all young players too yeah. that are hungry. 
So to, to no hit that type of team, it's it's even more challenging. You don't have the same scouting report that you would against a veteran lineup. Yeah, and on the season, I mean, we've been talking about Herman maybe for Cy Young, but I mean, seventeen and five, two point five six ERA in one hundred ninety three innings pitched. He's just been an absolute monster. He's got a point seven seven WHIP. So yeah, he's looking like a Cy Young winner. It, right now. You feel like it's going to be him or Cole. I mean, Morton is up there too, but the Rays have kind of fallen off the face of the earth, so I don't know if he's going to be able to win it. But uh, it, it's just amazing the decade plus of dominance from Justin Verlander. Where, I mean, he still has the velocity, which is incredible, but he was one of the only pitchers that I've ever seen that was able to go, you know, 93, 94 in the first two, three innings, and then he becomes sixth or seventh, he could be at 100 pitches, but then he'd be increasing his velocity. It just gets harder to hit. And, you know, it's scary to think that he's going to be as good in the late 30s as he was in his prime. He's still going to be the guy that could win the Cy Young, just do his third no-hitter, and going to be integral in the Astros' playoff success this year. Um, and you know, we're looking around the league, you know, with him pitching, and then he switch right over to the offense. Back to the Mets, you look at Wilson Ramos, a 25-game hitting streak. He's the third longest in Mets franchise history, the longest this season. And it's crazy that in a year where Verlander's throwing no hitters, you know, the home run ball was that Verlander's given up. Yeah, he's been bad with the home run ball. But it shows you that if you give up solo home runs, you're fine. If you give up, you know, one two-run home run here and there, if you're able to stay out, you'll be fine. It's the ones that can like half will give up a three-run home run, then the next thing you'll give up a two-run home run, that's where it kills you. But, again, Ramos is amazing right now. He's, I think he's got a 430 in the last calendar month. And, I mean, he was single-handedly one of the reasons the Mets were on that run. And yeah. He's been the reason they're winning games right now, even though they've gone cold. I mean, everyone wants to talk about McHale, who just returned. Everybody wants to talk about Alonso. And rightfully so, because Alonso's had an incredible year. But Wilson Ramos has become a key component to the Mets' And he had to. I mean, his defense was not great, and he wasn't hitting. And now he's finally turned it up. Like you said, 25-game history. He's, he's been there. I don't know, I'm trying to think of factors that the Mets have had that's been consistent like this. And I probably can't – probably got to go back to, like, Mike Piazza or even yeah. guys like that where you're, they're due for hits, and that's what this Mets team needs. They need hits, hit after hit. I mean, it doesn't matter how much they score their pitch if they're going to make any chance of getting back into this race. Because I would say right now they're falling out of it. Well, yeah, I mean, they went from two games back to four games back. And, I mean, we all know that when September comes around, you want to be, you know, probably within the two games that they were originally. So that's that's a hard drop to have. But you you mentioned Mike Piazza. Wilson Ramos actually just passed him in order to get into the third longest streak in Mets history. I think David Wright and Moises Alou are the two that are longer than him. So uh, David Wright was 26 for second place. So if he gets another hit tonight, he ties it and, you know, it's an incredible run because we always wind up talking about these things and then the inevitable Joe DiMaggio comes into your head. You go, does he have enough to get that 56? And, you know, 25 seems like a lot. You realize he's still needs 21 more games to tie. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's amazing. I feel like the record, I think, it. you know, it, there's a chance it could get broken if, you know, we keep seeing offense like this. But it's just incredible that somebody will go there for almost two months just hit baseball every day and not have one off day, one bad game, nothing. But Wilson Ramos, I mean, whenever you get to the number over 20, and you bring that name back, I think you're doing something 
Yeah, no, he's having again. He's having a great half right now. But uh, to go back to just Verlander and his no, no, it's got some fun facts um, for this you know, no hair. Justin Verlander is definitely built a resume up to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He threw each of his first two no-nos with the Tigers, and he became the eighth pitcher in history to throw at least one no-hitter for multiple teams. He joins uh, Mike Fires, Randy Johnson, Hideo Nomo, Jim Bunning, and Theodore Bredestein, who have also done that for two clubs. He is the only pitcher to throw a no-no for more than two teams, having thrown a seven – oh, Nolan Ryan, excuse me, is the only pitcher to throw a no-no for more than two teams, having thrown a seven in three different uniforms. Do you think that's amazing that Verlander had three? Nolan Ryan, just amazing. seven? Amazing. I mean, that's that's just pure dominance. But, I mean, it's also, again, it's a different era. I mean, he probably had over 150 pitches in some of those no-hitters. Yeah. Now, if you have over 100 in the seventh, you know, you're getting pulled and it becomes a combined no-hitter. So, uh, there's no taking away from Nolan Ryan. He's one of the greatest pitchers to ever do it. But Justin Verlander, man, with three, and we said how it's been a long time since the last one. The last one came when he was 20 years old. That's eight years, three months, and 26 days between last no-hitter. And that's the second longest gap in MLB history among 35 pitchers who have thrown at least two no-nos. Uh, Randy Johnson has the longest gap at 13 years, 11 months, and 17 days. And something else, their game score, I don't know if you know what this is, Brendan, with pitching. I don't either. But Verlander had a game score of 100 for the outing. That's the highest game score for a pitcher in a no-hitter since Max Scherzer's 17 strikeout. No-hitter had a game score of 104. So, I mean, he had 14 strikeouts and yeah. a no-hitter. I mean, that's got to be up there with one of the best, you know, K's ratio and a no-hitter of all time. I mean, pure dominance. And on the road, too. You're speechless because it's just amazing how consistent he is. Uh, you you want to like talk on fastball spin rate? You want to use it. I know the Astros are huge on spin rate, whether it's fastball, curveball. Maybe that helped him, you know, rejuvenate the youth a little bit. But from what seemed like a losing situation in Detroit, the, you know, he didn't get traded at the deadline. People thought he's going to stay there. His career is going to go downhill. And then August 31st, on he's a waiver deadline trade at the Houston Astros, and all of a sudden. Back to the Saya caliber, you know, throwing no hitters is crazy turnaround. I mean, I expected Verlander to his career to go the same path like Jordan Zimmerman's did, yep. where he's just or James Shields, where literally they just can't even. I mean, Jordan Zimmerman still goes out there. James Shields, I don't think has has a job right now, but I mean, you did not see this coming, and you saw the emotion yesterday when he did throw it. Every, every pitch means something to him. The other day he got taken out, and they were winning by a ton, and he was pissed off on the bench. and he tossed out. Yeah, he got tossed. That's what it was. They were up by a lot. He got tossed. And, you know, in a game like that, it's like, okay, Verlander, relax. But, no, he was hot, and he was pissed. And that's what you like. I mean, if you're in that clubhouse and you see that you're in the dugout, you see that it's like, wow, we're up 8-2. And these guys still just it means, you know, and it, it means something to him. But, I mean, you, you look at how good he's been, especially this year. And the picture that comes to my mind right away is Felix Hernandez. Because you talk about somebody that was as good as Verlander, if not better, for some points. They were always battling it out. And now he's just 33 years old. It's completely irrelevant. And, I mean, he can't pitch anymore. He lost all his velocity. He's been locked around the ballpark. And Verlander's older than him. 
throwing as hard as he was in the mid-20s. Uh, same type of velocity, same type of break on his curveball. Um, it, it's just amazing. You don't see somebody be consistent and be good for that long, especially as a pitcher. Because, you know, usually you have to adjust. Matthew you had to adjust now to throwing 89, 88, instead of the 95 that we were used to. All these guys, they move. He's still throwing 97, 98. It's just, it's crazy to watch. I mean, it's age 36 season. And do you think that, you know, Houston was really big on the analytics? You know, same with obviously Oakland, but Houston with shifting, all that stuff. Do you think that, besides getting out of Detroit, which was starting to fall apart, you think the Houston pitching staff or the analytics department is a reason for how he's been able to rejuvenate his career? Yeah, I mean, definitely. Because you look at Charlie Morton going there, too, and his exactly. career came from nowhere. And, He's now one of the best pitchers in the game. I think that the Reds and them use a similar system when it comes to their pitching coach, where they are focused more on the weight and arm angle. And that that's something that the Yankees might want to start looking at. Larry Rothschild, who obviously has his way that has overgrown, but now a little bit outdated. Home runs, launch angles. So I think the Houston, Cincinnati, Oakland, all these guys that are using analytics, spin rate, you know, arm angle, types of pitches are good in these situations. That that's the new modern pitching. Yeah, and, and if you're a young pitcher, I would look up to Verlander because he does he does pretty much everything right on the mound, and his attitude itself. It's great to see, and hopefully he's got a few more years left. And obviously his goal is to win again with the Astros. Yep. And I mean they're looking like one of the top teams, and we'll see if they do it again. But on to some other news, and probably you know. A little bigger is that Carlos Carrasco of the Indians returned after leukemia treatment. He goes one inning, two hits, one and run in debut. Team lost eight to two. That's a great sign because Cleveland is a team that needs him to come back and whatever his role may be, starting relief, his attitude as well as plus, you know, coming back from a serious condition, that should rejuvenate this team and hopefully push them. You know, they, they gotta he has a wild card. That's what's going to happen, and they need him, and they need their whole team to step it up. Yeah, I mean, it's bigger than baseball, especially when you hear, like, leukemia, cancer, all these things. And in the same year where, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, Tyler Skaggs, is, uh, he passed away. You know, it's it was sad. And you see that even at the All-Star game, his teammates, when he came out there, how much happier they were. And, uh, it, obviously, there's friendships beyond baseball. You know, it goes outside of the clubhouse, and whenever you hear one of your friends got is diagnosed with leukemia, you your heart drops. So to get him back in the locker room, and not only just get him back healthy, he's now playing again, which is incredible. The fact that he's come back from the treatment this quickly, it, it's it's got to be uplifting. And you know, for the Indians who lost Jose Ramirez a couple of weeks ago, and they don't know when he's going to be back, and they were battling with the Twins top, and now they're starting to fall back a little bit. That that might be the boost that gives them that last, you know, twenty five games, thirty games to get back into the playoff picture. I mean, yeah, they're a half game behind Tampa Bay for the first wildcard spot, so they're in the second hole right now. But you got pretty much it's just Oakland because Boston five games back, Texas is twelve and a half. So right now, Tampa Bay, Cleveland, and Oakland, all those teams are fighting for the wildcard spot. And for Cleveland, obviously, they hope that bringing Having Carrasco back really puts an emphasis on, you know, bigger than baseball, but we still got a job to do. And with Oakland losing the last two, that really helped Cleveland. So 
let's see what Carrasco could do. And anything Carrasco does this season is miraculous just because of what he had to deal with. And, you know, coming back, that's a great sign. We could talk about Tyler Skaggs. We uh, found out this weekend, Brendan, if you want to get into it, of, of how he actually passed. Yes. Yeah, so it was a drug overdose. Um, he mixed a couple of different drugs together. And I think he, I think it was fentanyl and oxycodone were found in the system along with alcohol. Um, he apparently choked on his own vomit mid sleep. And that is what eventually led to his death. But uh, it, it's still tremendously sad. You know, it, it, it's still a tragedy, but you, you hate when that type of news comes out. It's the same thing when Jose Fernandez died. You know, initially you're, you're shocked and everything. And then you lead, that it's just one poor decision that can change somebody's life and their lives all around them. Um, but, you know, our thoughts and prayers are, of course, with the family still, and it, it's just crazy. And he left such a young guy, too, and then you find out, you know, the family didn't want to release information, and he's going to get judged because he mixed pills and they drank, you know. One, like you said, one bad decision comes back, and that's it. Um, I We had read that he was suicidal at some point obviously he wasn't to the point where he needs to be watched or anything because if that was the case he'd still be around right now but it's really sad and also mental awareness yep to the so, forefront. yeah so i mean you know how big that's become you check on people because you never know what people are going through and his, i, mean, his, I can't uh, imagine his, teammate, like, his family seems very adamant about finding out who gave him the pills and i saw something that said they think it was somebody that was part of the Angels organization. So, I mean, that's another aspect that if they find out it was another player or trainer, you know, what happens then? Well, I mean, but, I, if, if it's another player that did it, obviously that player is not going to come forward just because he probably feels... I feel like if it was another player, though, something would have been said already. But also, uh, Tyler Skaggs' family could want to find out who gave it to him, but at the same time, I'm not trying to, like, be knowing or anything, but like Tyler Skaggs took it. It oh, wasn't yeah. forced, and uh, you could feel you, you want to blame. Like obviously, they don't want to play the. They're shocked. They're shocked. They want to know who That's their fault. Which I, yeah. I get. Like the worst part is we don't know the full story. You know, you we'll never know. Exactly. We'll never know the full exactly. story. So, um, you, know, you move on to another picture now. Yeah, Dustin May, young, twenty-one-year-old rookie for the Dodgers. One and three, four point zero seven ERA, twenty-four. And in the third innings pitch, 17 Ks, 1.15 whip. Took a 91.6 mile an hour pitch off the bed of Jake Lamb right side the right side of his head. He was down for a couple of minutes. Yeah, that's it's not what anyone wanted to see. Um, run scored on the play, but obviously one cares about the run. He was down for a couple of minutes. Both trainers from both teams came out and talked to him. Somehow, he got up and walked off on his own power. But that, oh, when you watch the replay, he got hit so hard as he flew back. His hat comes off. His hair goes flying. He's got a nice, nice uh, redhead afro. But um, yeah, that is. I mean, you're a pitcher, Brendan. You, I don't know if you've ever been hit, but I can't imagine how scary that must be. You know, especially when you know you throw. You're against younger kids. These are against major league hitters, yeah. and obviously Lamp's not trying to do it. It's part of the game, though. He's trying to go up the middle. Yeah, I mean, when I pitch, the ball was always just going out of the yard, so it never close to hitting me, but. Um, it, it's scary. It's always on your mind when you're a pitcher because there's no protection there. Like you see during batting practice, like the L screen, you're throwing through that. And even then sometimes people get hit. It's just you have no reaction time. But there's, you know, so many places you'd rather get hit. You'd rather break a hand, you know, get it off the leg, the ankle. The face is just, 
it, it feels painful, like, talking about it, and I'm not experiencing it. Yeah, I mean, I watched the replay yesterday, and the uh, broadcaster said, all right, let's see this one more time. There's no reason to see this more than once. And it's it's sickening to watch just because, you know, watching someone in pain is not a thing that people like to do on their free time. And if you do, there's numbers to call. But, I mean, it was it was very scary. And, but, you know, the team at his back, they won 4-3 in the 11th inning. So, yeah, that's a scary thing to see in the last. They were comparing it to the Robbie Ray when Robbie Ray took one off yeah. the uh, head. They said it was obviously a little different because he took it off the side. He got to turn a little bit. but He's Arizona too, so, I mean, they're involved in this and now they're the team doing it. But, I mean, it's an interesting play to watch happen because it was, there was bases loaded. And yeah. I'm pretty sure one run scored, there, or maybe two actually. Two might have scored. scored you watch it, and you can see these guys, for Arizona at least, running around the bases because it's a live ball. Like, yeah, like, yeah. And they were losing in the game, so they need to run. And they're running around home, and then as soon as they touch home, they stop and they're not celebrating with their teammates. They're immediately looking out. Jake Lamb, who hit the ball, got the first base and, and just went right down into a crowd with his hand over his mouth. You, know, you never want to see that happen to somebody, especially somebody so young. Just getting started in the league, but they get up rather quickly. Yeah, I was shocked. Like so you hope that nothing major comes out of it and that I'll be back pitching before the season's over. Yeah, and he doesn't have great numbers, but again, you don't want to see that from anyone. That's just disgusting. But um, talk about the Dodgers real quick. That that 89 wins and yesterday's win. First off, they have 12 walk-offs this year. Yeah. Uh, that, I feel that like every game, they're just as clutch as possible, and yesterday was no different. Cody Bellinger hit a game-tying home run in the top of the ninth inning, and then Jock Peterson, 454 foot in the 11th inning, sent the Dodgers to a 4-3 win over the D-backs, lowering their magic number to clinch NOS to seven games. This team just... First, this team hits home runs. Everyone on the team hit home runs. Yep. Just the clutch... Like, Yes, the Yankees won the series against them, but uh, if they continue this clutchness in the playoffs, regardless of how their pitching does, it's scary because they have guys not like I think Cody, um, not Cody Bellinger, I think Jock Peterson has 28 homers in the year. Yeah. Yeah, you would say it's a good number, except when you compare it to his teammate, Cody Bellinger, who just – He hits the cover off the baseball. He hits the cover off the baseball. He's running 310. He has 43 homers and 102 RBIs, and he also has 11 stolen bases. Yep. It's, it's crazy. But, again, you said they have 89 wins, they're 89 to 50. So they're a game and a half behind the Yankees. And we talked about that series before it happened. We said that this series could potentially determine – who has home field throughout the playoffs right now. The two games that separate Tampa, the two games that the Yankees won. And uh, if the Yankees and them stay at the same pace, and, I mean, they're also in the battle of Houston, 89-49, and 49, so they're a game behind the Yankees. And uh, I, I can't remember the last time that there were three teams that were this close all vying for that. Because at this point, they're all – their divisions are locked up. The Yankees are 10 games up in the East. Houston 10 games up in the West. Uh, 18 games up in the NLS. So the divisions are locked up. There's no team going to catch them there. And it's legitimately the point in the year where managers are sitting there like, all right, I want to rest you know, my big arms. I want to rest my big bat. You already know we're going to be in the postseason. But we also want home field. And the Astros look at the Yankees and go, all right, they lost today. We got to win. And now the manager, AJ Angel, says, okay, we have to cut out our big bat, our big arms. And the Yankees, Aaron Boone's doing the same thing. And you got Dave Roberts and the Dodgers doing the same thing. And they just 
our first phone call of uh, this morning, so. Yeah. Also, there is not very good business. Welcome, you're on the wind-up. Yeah, that was rather interesting. Um, some listening to the radio, but I just want to get to Cody Bellinger again. He he's been slumping in his last thirty games. He's batting two thirty six and he only has nine home runs. So. And in his last seven games, he has one home run. So it doesn't matter, apparently, what he's batting and what's going on. When it comes down to it, if his team needs a run, he's got their back. Yeah, uh, it's it's one of those things where you know the players are going to slump. When they're that talented, you don't expect it, but it happens to everybody. Um, Judge just went through it. You hope that they figure it out before the postseason starts. But I've always been, you know, like – it's interesting because people say you want to be hot when you the playoffs, but we all know that the hot teams eventually cool off. So how hot do you want to be? You don't want to be going in there on a 10-game winning streak. Because, you know, it's going to come to an end. So I've always said that guys that are going too hot, this guy's going too cold. You want to be that perfect, you know, right in the middle. So if he's going to slump now and fine, you know, figure it out. It's 25, 30 days to do that. So. I'm not worried about Cody coming into October. I'm more worried about the pitching staff and maintaining what they're doing because that's been the Dodgers' Achilles heel come playoffs now. That's been their Achilles heel for the last couple of years. And it's so funny. Like, they dominate during the regular season. You say the same thing with the Yankees. They dominate going to the playoffs and, like, just quiet. Usually it's for the Yankees, it's their offense. But, no, yeah, like you said, Hinton Ryu's got to – Show up in the playoffs. Kershaw's got to be better in the playoffs. Their bullpen's got to be better in the playoffs. But they're a scary team just with the fact that, like the Yankees, their lineup one through nine are never out of it, regardless of who's up at bat. I mean, like I said yesterday, you bring in Mike Ford to pinch hit in a big situation, and he goes deep. Brett Gardner was 0 for 3 with 3 Ks. He went deep. So having guys one to nine, I mean, no other lineups like that, probably except the Dodgers and the Yankees. Yeah, I mean, well, it's Houston's too because yeah. they're unforgiving. And even Minnesota's because they just set the home run record, which they I think they have 268. The Yankees are 14 behind them, so they're going to break their last year's pace too with a team that has one home run from Giancarlo Stanton, which is crazy to, in its own right to think about. But, I mean, there's a lot of good offenses. The Twins are probably the best offense this year, just when you look at numbers-wise, but Pitching again is it's not good enough to hold up in October. Um, the other, like Yankees, the Dodgers, the Astros, they have that sense where you could be up five yards in the ninth and you're still nervous when they come to the plate. Um, I remember last week when the Yankees lost to the Red Sox, Kimball was struggling to end that period. The Yankees just wouldn't give up. And I feel like you're going to see a lot of that, in, especially the American League side, if the Astros and Yankees meet where the games are going to be. You know, four nothing in the eighth, maybe, and one side is we're going to come back. The other side is home. Oh There's still two out. You have to get five, six outs left. So, it, but that makes it fun. You know, that's what makes it competitive. I'd rather see a series go seven games every time than watch my team sweep. I know it's a lot less stressful, but the excitement of the game seven, you know, your team's trailing three, two, and three, they win the next two and come back. And there's no better feeling than that. 
I mean, yeah. For the Yankees, it's it's really World Series or bust because the, the stuff they're putting together this year compares to the 2019, which won. Yep. So there's pressure with that. But I think the Yankees, no, their pitching hasn't been amazing, and the rest of their pitching was a lot better. But I guess you can't be greedy because their offense has been great. So, yeah, that's the main thing. Just like the Yankees have to win. There's no more going to the playoffs. Winning the first round, losing like this is a team that's built to win, and if everyone comes back, we'll see what happens with Stanton. But if those big boys come back in the lineup, Edmund Encarnacion, you know, if they come back and they really help this team win, hopefully they'll be looking at another World Series ring. But um, also other news, Dustin May cleared, he has no concussion. He cleared concussion wow. protocol, which is maybe it's all that hair. It is got the the Matt helmet on. <laughs> I, I mean. I'm shocked he doesn't have a concussion. I tell you right now, I might be dead. 96 or not, whatever it was, 96.6 to the head. That's just that's yeah. ridiculous. I have a concussion. I mean, you're thankful that it wasn't fully barreled at that point because, you know, somebody like Judge was hitting that ball 115. That's, yeah. that's a lot more damage. But, I mean, the Yankees have 40, 24 games left in the regular season. They're at 90 wins. So, realistically, how many wins do you think that they'll finish with? 24 games left, and they're at 90 wins. So, well, no, I don't think they're going to go 20 and 4 in the next 24 games, but I think they'll finish with 104. I was going to say 106. I think 16 and 8 is a realistic stretch. I feel like we're going to see what we saw yesterday where pitchers are going to come in, relief pitchers are going to come in, and they don't really care about the outcome in the grand scheme of things. They did win, but I'm, I'm saying, though, they're not bringing their big guns in. Well, you they like they the got, young guys. Yeah, three games set at home right now against Texas. They so should win the series. That, that should be a series win. Two out of three, maybe a sweep. Then you're in Boston for four, which you never know what's going to happen there. But Boston is so, so deteriorated at this point, and the Yankees will get up to play them. Then you go to Detroit for three, and then Toronto and L.A. for the Angels, and Toronto again. So those are all. No, no, I lied. They could, they could go 20 and 4. They finished with two against Tampa and then three more against Texas. And the hardest game is going to be in Toronto, with Toronto because Toronto's not had their number, but the Yankees have played their worst baseball with anyone in the AL East against Toronto this year. So, I mean, realistically, they, they can 16 to 20 wins, but uh, at the same time, you have to play the game. I think that it's all set up for them to go 12 plus in the wins. I, they're going to have to do that if they want to stay ahead of, you know, the Astros and Dodgers for that top spot. That I'm interested to know who the Astros play. And it's crazy because you could get 90-something wins or 100-something wins, and it once you get into the playoffs, besides the home field, it doesn't matter because we've seen really good teams lose. So, yeah, the Yankees could go 20-4, or they could have a losing record in the next 24 yep. games. So you never know until you play the game. I will officially open up the phones now, 1044. The number is 760-283-0846. But, yeah, there's I – mean, we can look around at the standings right now. We just went over how the Yankees have the first team to 90 wins. They are – it's ridiculous how good they've been this year given the circumstances. Oh, yeah, they broke a record, Brendan. For the most – I don't know what the number is, but they have the most people that are on the IL. Over 71. Oh, they're talking about IL. I thought you were going to talk about the home runs in August. <laughs> no, no, no. They got the most people injured, I'm pretty sure, ever since they were keeping track of that in one season. 
and they have the best record in baseball. It's just that's mind boggling. But I think what's even crazier is not the fact that they're able to sustain these injuries, the fact that these people just keep getting injured. I mean, rub some Bengay on it. You got cramps. That's the game of cramps. I've heard that so many times in my life. Cramps. Yeah, it's just, I mean. Straighten out your legs, stretch it out. Uh, if I told my high school coach, yeah, I got a cramp, he'd laugh at me. These guys get paid millions of dollars and they get to go on the 10 day IL on sunglasses and stuff like that. Like, uh, I mean, come on. Play through a little bit of pain, please. I mean, it's just for just for protection. They they pay these guys a lot of money, but it doesn't work because, like you know, Stanton guy like Stanton, you letting him take eight months to return. So whatever yeah, I mean, it's been. I guess it's a different mindset for us because we're hockey guys, and you know, we hockey players do not like to miss anything. And I mean, take a broken foot and you skate on it. But I mean, baseball been this way for a while, where it's more precautionary. So uh, I guess we'll you know we'll wait and see. Rochella comes back, fine, you know, no pain, no lingering issues. Britain passed all his tests, so he should be ready to go, which is good because he's very important to their bullpen. And seriously, if they lost him, especially since Hampton doesn't come back for any significant amount of time, that would be a huge blow. Um, uh, I think that if the Yankees want to maintain what they've done and what they've surprised everybody with this year, they, they have to have that bullpen healthy shape. So I, I think we're going to start to see, like you said, more Sessa, more Adams, which, which could lead to a couple more losses in games that they should win, but in the long run it is for you know, their own safety because this guy out of Vino, the way he looked this year, you know, he had a flip in the start, but I mean, he's got 1-5, one, 1-6 one, ERA. And Chapman's figured it out. There's much rough stress you want to keep him going, but at the same time, there's the fine line, which you mentioned yesterday, was you, want, you can't have these guys go five days without pitching. You want Man. them to stay sharp. So how much rest do you give them? How many games in a row do you pitch them? Do you pitch them two in a row, then give them two days off? Or, yeah, but they got to work that out. I think that's one of the few jobs that a manager still has left. You know, analytics can't tell you that. It's more you know, gut feeling, knowing your players. So it, it'll be interesting to see how the top three teams in baseball manage their – offenses and bullpens throughout the rest of the regular season. Well, that's why we, that's why the reason we saw it of, you know, pitch yesterday, back-to-back games, because they saw that he waited too long, came in, whatever it was, two and three games. So you need pitchers like that. They want to keep pitching. Yeah. That's why when you let Chapman, he doesn't pitch for, like, a couple of games. He comes in and you wonder why this guy is first and second. Like, get these guys going. I know you want to give them time off, get healthy, rest up, but I think they're more – They'll do more damage if they're pitching on a consistent basis. But also, we've talked about how many bad teams there are in the MLB. There are seven teams already that are eliminated. I'm from playoffs first, and I'll go through them. Toronto, 55 and 83. They're 35 games back of the Yankees. Um, eliminated. Baltimore, 45 and 91. Eliminated, 44 games back. Kansas City, 49 and 89. Eliminated. Detroit, 40-94. Eliminated. The West, the AOS did pretty well. They only have one team that's eliminated, and that's the Seattle Mariners. We talked about how they were off such a ridiculously hot start, but they really fell off. 58-80, 31 games back. Eliminated. That's, I mean, but again, it's not how 
bad some of these teams I mean, are. How good the teams that they play. How but, good the top teams are. But Miami, 48 and 88. That's a 353 winning percentage. 35 games back. Eliminated. Yeah. Central actually did well. Central has nobody. You have Pittsburgh in last place, 1677. 16 and a half games back. And then you have in the West, Colorado, which has just been an atrocious year. And this is a major step back for the organization, but they go 59 and 79, eliminated. What so, did you say the uh, the Dodgers' magic number was for? Seven. They're at seven. So the Yankees are at 15. Well, that just goes to show how much better the AL is compared to the NL. Well, at least that division. division. But yeah. Uh, that's that's crazy though. So they, I mean, 15 and 24 is uh, that's well, a good margin. Have, they have an 18 game lead in the division. The yeah, I mean, it's not yeah. even close. It, it's been that way all year though. The Yankees and Rays were in a little bit of a battle. The Rays have 80 wins, so I mean, they're having a good year too. The last two years have been great years for Tampa Bay, especially for a team that has you know not many brand names. They've been able to. Maintain pace of play with you know the top teams in the AL. The only thing is that the position where the Red Sox 108 games last year and the Yankees are going to probably win at least 105 this year. So I mean they're there, they're just not good enough yet. It's it's crazy. I think that you know by the time we do this next week, it's going to be a much different look in the playoff picture. We'll have a much clearer idea of who's going to make the wild cards. I think uh, the divisions will be closer to being wrapped up. And, uh, hopefully the Mets can make a push, you know, get back to within two, maybe even a game and a half if they can. Cause, you know, they are, they are playing the Nationals, but they win and other teams lose. But um, next week we'll definitely have a lot more to talk about around the league with New York sports. And look forward to talking with you guys again.